reading of God's Word. We're in John chapter 15. I'll start reading actually at verse 17. Jesus speaking, These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Father, we just come before you once more. We lift up this word that you would bless us and speak to us and make it real and pertinent to our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now, so many times in the church today, you've probably heard it. I, I don't really see us doing this. I try not to preach in this manner. But when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to discipleship, we can so easily and improperly speak, speak of blessings. Now, if you're a born-again believer, you've been blessed. I'm not going to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 1, it speaks of seven spiritual blessings that we have already been blessed with. <clears throat> And these things we need to possess and we need to rejoice in. I'm not speaking against blessings. I'm speaking against the improper perspective when it comes to blessing. Come into the Christian life and you'll find love. Come into the Christian life, you'll find peace and you'll find rest. And all of those things are true, but you're going to find love, you're going to find peace, and you're going to find rest in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of hardship. Now, you could avoid those things or try to avoid the hardship but you're not going to be able to be effective witness for jesus christ in doing so 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 many times we'll try to sell christianity to those things or at least we've seen these things happening in the church but the bible is very emphatic in second timothy verse 3 or chapter 3 verse 12 yes and all who desire to live godly all those who desire to live in the will of god in the manner that God has called us to live, and in the power of God in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Now, you see that term persecution, and, you know, really, what is persecution? Are we really persecuted in our Christian lives today? I mean, not to the extent that people in the Bible have been. Go to Hebrews chapter, not now, but later on, homework. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see people who were persecuted for their faith. But really, that word persecution next to it, you could also write harassment i can relate to that all who desire to live godly in christ jesus will suffer harassment and yeah I, I can see that it's so tempting to use blessings as a lure to draw people into the kingdom of heaven but people get saved at that point and wonder where's the blessed life that i was promised again having this improper perspective of what these blessings truly are. Our, our priority, our priority is not here. Our priority is in heaven, and that's when we're going to find that peace that we can't even imagine. But as far as this life 
as I'm moving forward in the Lord, I'll find contentment in what God has for me. I'm going to be contrary to the world, and it's going to strike a nerve with the world. The world is going to harass me, but as long as I have peace in Christ Jesus, I'll be able to endure such things. Now, do not think it a strange thing. Coming to Bible study, how come whenever I decide to go to Bible study, on a midweek or whatever, even a Sunday morning, there's harassment. How come when I go to serve the Lord, there's harassment? may even come from our own household. And again, these things are reality in the Christian life. And so who Jesus is addressing here is his timid disciples. Remember, he said in chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. And the reason he said that is, is because they had a troubled heart. And so with his timid disciples, he's discussing the cost of becoming a true disciple and this has been given, or being given, in his final instruction. Again, I look at the things that we've been studying as of late, and what we will continue to study is of the utmost importance to the mind of God because he's just hours away from his crucifixion. He's given them this final directions and how they are to live their lives, although he's with them even to the end of the age, but he's not physically there. These things are important, and it's just as they're important to their lives, they're important to our lives even today. And so the reality of it all, the world is going to hate us unfairly. Just think, military recruiter. My son went, and just amazing how nice the recruiter was. It's just amazing, you know, he's a Marine. Just nice, how nice the recruiter was and all the promises that he made and how great the Marine Corps was going to be. See, when my son walked in, he was going to, I believe it was the Air Force office. There was like four of them in a row. The Air Force office was closed, so he came over to the Marine Corps. Well, that guy had to sell the Marine Corps because he could just easily go next door to the Army or the Navy or, or whatever it might be. And you see the promises, be all that you can be. See the world. We just need a few good men. And what do they do? They come at 4 o'clock in the morning. It was my birthday present back in um, 2004. It was my birthday, and that was the day they knocked on our door at 4 o'clock in the morning. We were expecting them, and we gave Sean over to them. Now, Sean is always up for a new adventure. Sean just walked out the door and just kept on walking all the way into the guy's car. And what they do is they bring you to L.A., and they give you a, an exam and, and all of those things, and then they put you on a bus and they drop you off at MCRD, which is the boot camp. And then they got these guys called drill instructors, and I've never been, but apparently they're not very nice people. See, there was the, the, the recruiter, but now there's the drill instructor. There was the guy who was selling, now you got the guy who is preparing. Because these are young men, and even today, young women, they need to work as they go, and they need to do their jobs, whatever their jobs may be. They may go to war, and they're going to be there for one another and to protect this nation. And so it's, in, it's imperative that they learn these things because they're getting ready to enter into battle. Jesus has addressed the advantages of following him. He's spoken of eternal life. He's spoken of the prayers that we're able to pray and that he will hear. He's spoken a little bit, and we'll get into this starting next week, the Holy Spirit, what it means to send the Holy Spirit. He's spoken of this place that he's going to prepare for them. They have heaven that is before them. But also he's been speaking of, and we need to know that friendship with the Lord is going to mean enmity with the world. 
as we have this newfound friendship with Jesus Christ, this relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to come to the detriment of our relationship with the world. On the day that I was married, it actually happened before I was married. I had various relationships. I had relationships with some old girlfriends. And guess what? When I I met my wife, those other relationships, they left. They were gone. It wouldn't have been proper to maintain them. I gave all to my wife, all of my my attention to my wife. And it's the same thing with Jesus Christ. We had that, if you will, affair with the world, but now we are married with Jesus Christ. That was a very unclean thing before, but now we have that which is absolute holiness. And as we have that, we ought not to go back to the world. Matter of fact, as you reject the world, the world is going to reject you. And so along with spiritual privilege comes this harassment. And for a lot of us, it's going to come first from the family. Secondly, it's going to come from friends. Thirdly, it's going to come from associates. There's going to be people who you spent a lot of time with, they just don't come around anymore. There's going to be people that even reject you. Matter of fact, if you truly have a desire to live godly in this present age, most of you have experienced some things. What happened to you? What was this change that has come about you? Ever since you started going to this church, then and they'll spew out their problems with that, that they have with you. You're not like you used to be. It's like you died. Little do they know, we did die. We died to the old person, and we're no longer that old person. We are now somebody new in Christ. And what we've come to find out, what I've come to find out, even though I've died, never have I been so alive in all of my life alive to Christ, but also to the li- alive to the realities of this world, the things of the world, but also the things of the kingdom of God. I can see the things that are going on across the landscape of the world today with terrorism, the upheaval in our country, and all of these things, and I understand their place. My mother told me, I don't know if she listens to these or not. She would not be happy if I mentioned my mother. But I know this lady, um, who told me with all the political stuff, she says, I have to stop thinking about it because I don't sleep at night. I sleep pretty good at night because I know it's all in the hands of God. It breaks my heart. Don't, you know, don't, don't get me wrong on that. But nonetheless, I understand it's all in the hands of the Lord. So what we have seen in verses 1 through 11 of this chapter is the relationship between the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the branches, his people. In verses 12 through 17, we saw the relationship between the branches, or at least between one another, the relationships within the church. Now in verses 18 through, well, actually 18 through 25, we see the relationship between Jesus and the church and the world. And so look at this contrast of verse 17. It's why I went back one verse. In verse 18, he's speaking of, Well, I have commanded you that you love one another. If the world hates you, verse 18, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. So there's this concept that he presents of loving our own. It just simply makes sense. When we have all of our family over in our house, really, I truly believe that that there's just a, a love that radiates within that family just like-minded people, and there's just this unity, and it's just a blessing. And we should have that same mindset as we're in the body of Christ. 
Now, there's two ways that this love can work within the body of Christ. You can enter into the body of Christ and truly have this relationship and experience the love of one another, the sacrificial love that we're there for one another, that we support one another. We just finished praying for one another. And as we we do these things, this is what a church is supposed to be. But there's an element in the church, and even within our church, that they're not there so much, and maybe they would want to enter into that love, but they're just experiencing the love as it happens, such as you would experience a football game. If you're on the football field, you're participating. And the fans, maybe they want to participate, but they don't. They're just sitting on the sidelines. So we do have sideline sitters, but what are they seeing? What is it that brings them back even? It's the love of Christ. Maybe they wouldn't explain it that way, but it's the love of Christ that they experience within the body of Christ. Because without the love of Christ, then we have absolutely nothing. And so you think nobody likes you? Well, think of Jesus. And that's the illustration that he's using here. He was hated at birth. Herod Herod was willing to kill hundreds, maybe even thousands of children for the purpose of trying to kill Jesus Christ. Jesus was hated so much that at the end of his life, he was killed for no legitimate reason, at least from the world's standpoint, they crucified an innocent man. And today, look at him today. Again, if you didn't know anything about Christianity and somebody sat you down and just kind of went through the basics and then you would understand, okay, there's this man, Jesus, and you would see how the world relates to Jesus, it wouldn't make sense. Why do they hate him? Because even in our society, he's hated by the Supreme Court. He's hated by Congress. And he's hated even by the majority of religions. Are those people who have tried to cast out Christ, or at least define Christ, how they desire or feel that he should be. You see these people marching in the streets and the profane things that they're doing to the Lord. I say to the Lord, but you know, they, well, some of it is just too vile to even talk about, but they're blasphemous things that they're doing. And again, you wonder, this man came preaching this doctrine of love. How come he's, how come he's so hated? Well, there is no other name that draws the response that Jesus Christ did and still does today. You see that reality of the difference between the spirit and the world. Just as they rejected Christ back then, they reject Christ today. Back then, they physically rejected him and nailed him to the cross. They can't do that today, so they take his representatives. And they, when they reject you, In actuality, it's not really you they're rejecting, it's Jesus Christ in you. Now, Jesus can be a nice person to have around in times of trouble, but society always wants him to get put back in the box. He used to be such a joy to be around, but then you got just so religious. They don't understand that, but really what they're seeing is Christ, and they want you to put religion back where, in their minds, where they believe it is long. I played that game. I played that game for a big part, probably close to about a third of my life. I went to church every Sunday morning, but it had absolutely no impact upon my life. When I first got saved, I blamed the Catholic Church for that, but in actuality, it was my fault, because that's exactly what I would do. Now, they weren't really preaching Christ, but Christ was there in the readings and whatnot, and so there was the Word of God that wasn't explained, but it was at least read. And what did I do? Every time Christ came out, if there was any tins of, of, of... of conviction 
I, I would endure that conviction because Catholics are really good at that. And then when we were done, shove him back in the box or, or close the doors of the church behind me and make sure he didn't get out because then I would go about, and I'm sure we could have testimony after testimony, I would go out living my ungodly life. And so the world thinks if he would just stay in that box that is labeled religion, then everything would be okay. Verse 18, if the world hates you, when he speaks of the world, he's speaking of the society who does not have a relationship with God, a society that condones abortion, a society with lifestyle choices above what is morally correct. The world's national anthem is, if it feels right, if it feels good, then do it. Everybody does what is right in their own sight. That's the dynamic of the world. They do not want to submit themselves to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, they're described perfectly as being a natural man. Now, when it says a natural man, the idea is a sensual man. A sensual man would be a man, a person, who, is, who, who uses his senses to guide him. You know, kind of like your dog. If dog senses you, what is it thinking? It's thinking he's going to pet me on the head or he's going to feed me a bone or whatever. And you've seen some of the pretty disgusting things your dog will do as it's guided by its senses. Well, man does some pretty disgusting things. And so it says, the natural man, the sensual man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Why wouldn't I live my life according to my senses? And that's why the world thinks it's foolish to not have an abortion. That's why the world thinks it's foolish to, you know, the homosexual agenda, the bathroom thing, and all of this. It makes perfect sense to them because they're guided by the senses. We're thinking, how foolish is this? We're guided by the Spirit. There's still an element in this country that although they may not be Christians, they're still influenced by the Spirit because we're there. When that time for the church to be raptured happens, when the church is taken out, then you're going to see the sensual man completely take over in so many different areas. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Next to that word foolish, you can write moronic. It's where we get the word moron. That's why they think you're a moron. They think you're just a complete idiot because you live this life. They don't understand. They just don't understand, and they're not going to understand until their heart is penetrated with the gospel. That's why it's silly to go out there and tell them, stop doing all of this. Start using the right bathrooms. Stop killing the babies. Stop, stop marrying males and males and females and females. Just to tell them to do that stuff, it makes no sense to them. They think you're a moron. And what you need to tell them is, is show them that the sinners that they are and, and tell them of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And then what's going to happen? God's going to transform their lives. How do I know that? I'm exhibit A and you're exhibit B because God has done that in my life. We all had a warped perspective of society, but now we have a biblical perspective of society because we have come into an understanding. The Spirit has given us wisdom. And so society looks at love, and they'll classify under love, pornography, these one-night stands, fornication, whatever it might be, peace. Underneath that, they'll classify alcohol, drugs, gaming, whatever it might be. Rest, vacations, retirements, hobbies, 
But again, apart from Christ, what are they really accomplishing? Now, all these things, well, most of these things are bad, but not everything is bad. Don't get me wrong on that. But without Christ, where's the purpose for it all? In this life, your origin will be one or two things. It'll either be of the world or of God. So as the world is in direct opposition to the Lord, do not be surprised when you find that the world is in direct opposition to you. And again, it can be that which, which grasps grasp your heart. As you see, again, some of these things that are happening and some of these laws that are, that are being passed. And for me, it can just be frustrating, you know, as you, you kind of leave the knowledge of them just doing what is essentially correct in their own sight. But you see these things, but then I come to the realization as well, as I have that conflict in me, that's the spirit that dwells inside of me. And that should give me even more confidence, confidence of my salvation, but the confidence of what God is able to do through me as I live a life that is sold out to Christ. See, Christianity, if it's not real in our lives, then we're just wasting our time. It's got to be real in our lives. This is how God, what God has always used to change souls and to retransform societies. Because as bad as things are today, They've been worse in past history, but God has always done a work. Are we living in the end times? Maybe, maybe not. We're, we're so quick to write it off to end times. Maybe the Lord's going to tarry for another two, three hundred years. Do I think so? No, but maybe he will. And if that's the case, I want to see change back to godliness come. And it have to be, we all have to be of the mindset that it starts with me first, that it starts with us first. And that being the case, once we start moving forward in the Lord, the Lord always does great things through humble things. So why does the world hate us so? We need to see that those who are of the world, as we all once were, have centered their lives around everything that the world has to offer. They have a world view. If the world goes away, then their lives crumble apart. The world and the beliefs generated by the world are ingrained into their daily lives. They may proclaim a belief in God. Again, that's religion, but he's usually just some sort of catch-all that is, once again, just shoved aside. So, who is God? Who is God? We, we sang that we look so forward to being in his presence and being by his side just a minute ago. Well, for the world, God, God is some grandfatherly type or God is some kind of obscure force or power. If you're agnostic, you believe that there is a God, but he's unable to move in your lives. But if you're a born-again believer, you understand that he is most holy, that he is sovereign, and that he rules over the lives and the affairs of man. It's why all things can work together for the good. And if you understand these things, and I realize that he dwells inside of me, then as they say, the possibilities are endless. And I can have this perception of me that what could God possibly do through me? Well, you by yourself, the answer is nothing. But as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the possibilities, the possibilities are off the charts. And the only way that, that I can hinder what God wants to do is, I, is I, I sell him working through me short. And so I have to understand and realize there's always opportunity in Jesus Christ. He's the power that works through us. He has told us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When he says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that means that we can do anything through Christ who strengthens us. 
And so we have to look at the dynamic of a church. With church, we can so easily, and even as us as Calvary chapels, we can be of this mindset of refining the church, and I'm talking about the building, and putting our efforts into the building, and putting our money into the building, where we never reach outside of the building. And I was doing a funeral a while ago, and I was walking through the, the cemetery, and I just noticed how nice the grass was. It was really green. It was really manicured well. It was really kept up. And they had these marble buildings, and they were very ornate. and They were just really nice. The floors were polished. It looked really good. But the thing about it is it was filled with a bunch of dead people. And it was filled with dead people that were never going to appreciate any of that, never achieve any real purpose. Is the church the same way? Has the church become the same way? Have we become these nice, ornate buildings, but instead it's just filled with a bunch of spiritually dead people? I'm not saying unsaved people, but unsaved people who are not achieving God's purpose got to understand these things as we train up our children how are we training up our children that was part of the reason why we use the um, answers in genesis curriculum because it's apologetically centered that it prepares the kids to go into their school and give a reason for the hope that is within them and so that we would train these kids up to give a reason for the hope as they're out there in their classroom or wherever it is that they might be but also that we might be the same way. As we got people going door to door, I guarantee you, door to door, it doesn't hurt. We, have not had, we haven't lost anybody yet. Nobody's been beat up. We've had a few doors slammed on us, but actual, most people, you go door to door, if you go knock on 100 doors, there's probably 80 of them that don't even answer the door, either not home or just hope you go away. But there's always one or two that you'll have a good conversation. And again, it's just a blessing to be able to be part of that and to have influence such as that. And so you have the world. They're convicted by God. And then you, you the Christian, enter into their lives with your biblical worldview and basically tell them that the foundation of everything that they believe, they're wrong. Now, you won't, probably not a good way to evangelize somebody. Everything you believe is wrong. No, we don't go from that perspective we go from the positive perspective of what we have is right but nonetheless that's what they hear everything is wrong not only are they wrong but they will be punished for being wrong and you won't shut up about it and that's why the world hates you because there's that conviction and that conviction's just not going away i had a fly in my office the other day and it just kept it kept dive bombing my head i don't know maybe it had something to do with no hair or something, I don't know. It looked like a runway. But they kept dive, it kept hitting me in the head, and you swat at it, and you can't see it, and you miss it, and you look, and it's flying, and you start working again, and it dive bombs you once again. I was irritated, so I got a magazine, and I was waiting. It kind of flew near me, and I waved it, then it finally landed. And I got it, and I went, boom, and splat went the fly all over the place. Well, actually, it was pretty much contained on the magazine, but it, it, it became a liquid form for the most part. Now, did I need to hit it that hard? I mean, it was just a fly, just a boom would have done it. But the thing about it was, is that fly irritated me for the previous 15 minutes, and I guess I would have been better off to catch it and to 
pull its legs. Well, no. <laughs> but that's what the world wants to do to you because you're irritating them. You're an irritant and you're a constant irritant. Now, this is a good irritant, but you're an irritant. And so that's why they lash out. Sooner or later, they just want to, I guess, pull your legs off to make the illustration or, or pound you with a magazine and liquefy, whatever. But you understand the, the point that I'm trying to make. The glaring difference is that they walk according to their senses, and we are to be a people who walk by faith. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You look at general society, especially liberal society today, and you have Islam and you have Christianity. Again, you take that stranger, he would think, why do they hate Christianity and why do they like Islam? They're trying to get these people into the country and they're trying to get Christianity out of a country. How does that make any sense? The only reason it makes sense is because Jesus Christ is God. And he said that these things would be so, the truthfulness of his word. The other reason that the world hates you is because you're chosen. Have you ever not been picked for a team? You know, in elementary school, I can scarred me for life. I was in second grade. We were playing kickball, and they chose up teams, and I didn't get chosen. And one of the guys said, go away, you stink. And it's just like, I, here I am. I was, how old is a second grader? Eight, I'm 59 now, and I still remember it. Well, the world hasn't been chosen. Well, Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a holy people, the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above the peoples of the face of the earth. This is called the doctrine of election. Doctrine of election is probably best seen in terms of a marriage. A groom, a groom chooses his bride. He may even ask his bride many times, but sooner or later, that bride, well, she says yes, or if she says yes, then they become married. He's chosen her. Now, the woman must agree to be the chosen bride, too, because it works on both sides. How does God ask today? God asks today through the preaching of the gospel. So under this heading of the doctrine of election, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, beloved uh, Always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That means somebody had to speak the truth in order for you to believe. You were chosen, but it had to work on both sides. It says, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, who does God choose? The Bible's very clear. 2 Timothy 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, appeared for the purpose of consideration, to all of mankind. How do we accept? 1 Timothy 4.10, For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. Now, there's the potential is what he's saying here to be the Savior of all men, especially or emphatically of those who believe. Israel was chosen, Deuteronomy chapter 7, but later on down the road, Jeremiah 3, verses 6 through 10, they rejected God. That's the scripture that speaks of that certificate of divorce, still using that marriage illustration. God chose them. There was a time in history they accepted, but later on they rejected, and the gospel has come to the Gentiles. 
the ultimate example of the rejection of God is only hours away back here in John, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 15, as the cross is coming. You have made a commitment to your Lord. The Lord has chosen not to. Jealousy breeds hate. You ever experienced jealousy? Jealousy breeds hate. It's not that they're not chosen. It's just that they have not realized the totality of what it means to be chosen, and you never will until you accept. I mean, you could be a, a woman that grows to an old age and have all of these proposals, but who did you ever marry? When did you ever make a commitment and never have? What good did all those proposals do? Somebody who the gospel shared with and shared with and shared with, but if they never opened their hearts to the gospel, what good did it all do? Verses 20 through 21. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. The last reason why the world hates you is because of his word and his name. They're in the dark. They're sinning away. They're living their sensual life. And the problem is, you keep turning on the lights. You keep bringing the light in through the word of God. Now remember, man's conscience convicts him of sin. As you preach the word and live the word, the word, the world is convicted. And so you as a Christian, as you enter into your family, as you enter into your friends, whatever it might be, you're bringing the light. And rather than coming into the light, what are they doing? They're trying to snuff the light out. Well, if you're the one bringing the light, the reason they're rejecting you is, is because they want the darkness. And the, what's darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. And so they're rejecting you. They're trying to push you out. Sinners love company. If enough people sin, is really sin still a sin? And so they're rejoicing in their darkness. John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because the deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So again, verse 21 but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because we express the name of Jesus Christ, or the nature and the essence of Christ. We express love, we express grace, but we also express the knowledge of a coming judgment as well. Not that we condemn people, but there's that reality, because what we're going to see here next week in verse 16, again, it's the section of Scripture where the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. So he's brought in the words and his actions, his miracles have confirmed the word to such a degree that there's just simply no excuse. And so we, we have dual purpose here. You're the miracle, and you're the bearer of the word. You see, the changed life of the born-again believer 
you speak the word and the miracle of your changed life, what God is able to do, it accentuates the word to such a degree that those whom God has chosen, but as they have rejected him, they are without excuse. Verse 25, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Psalm 69, verse 4. Again, the Apostle John, the Apostle John, he includes this saying of Christ because he's using these things to show us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What Jesus Christ is speaking of, though, you are my child. You are no longer an offspring of the world, but now you are in the hands of God. As you are in the hands of God, jealousy, as I said before, jealousy breeds contempt. There's going to be that contempt there. And so... We, we have been called. Now, how is contempt overcome? Contempt is overcome by love. Now you know why we've been called to love sacrificially. We practice it in here because not everybody here is so easy to love. I have to sometimes get over myself. To, I mean, I'm, I, I, I love everybody here, but you have to get over yourselves to love me um, sacrificially. But then how much more so when we go out into the world? But as we give of ourselves, as Christ gave of himself upon the cross, as we give of our lives for their sake, it's going to be that that's going to make the difference. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, and we exemplify it through our lives. As we do these things, it's then that we're able to bridge that contempt that the world has. Not everybody is going to receive, but those who receive, they make it all well worth it. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us these things, that, Father, there's training and there's the teaching that, that, Lord, we need, our motivation for the work of ministry. And so, Father, I pray that we would be diligent about these things within the body of Christ, that people would come and enter into the love of Christ and those on the, those on the outskirts, Lord, I pray that you would bring them in as well. But I also pray, Father, as you bring us in and as we we have that feeling of family, Father, that we would disperse as well into the community. And so, Father, your word tells us that you desire for all men to be saved. And as that is the case, I pray, Father, that we, can, we would conduct our lives as, as those who truly believe your word. And so, Father, we just lift up those whom you give us influence over. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us wisdom and insight to your glory, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Verses 26 and 27 fit nicely with the next chapter, so we'll include those next week. Um, we have our men's breakfast that is coming up March 25th. Jimmy Arate is going to be here. He's a Vietnam vet. He spent time in Vietnam. He's going to be speaking some of his testimony concerning that, but also to how to minister to somebody because a lot of us, know people who have been deployed and affected by those deployments. I have two son-in-laws that have been deployed. Andrew has been deployed three separate times. And so we live in a time, we forget, but we live in a time when this nation is at war. And how much more so do we owe it to those who are fighting for our freedom that we would be able to minister to them that they would find freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. So guys, I encourage you to get signed up. And also, when we do stuff like this, it's not just to feed you. And it's not just to give you another Bible study. It's also an avenue to invite somebody. To invite somebody. It doesn't matter if they go to church, go to another church or whatever. It's not that I, I don't really care to have other people from churches come here, but it is going to be an effective topic.
for the work of ministry. And so we need to get out, we need to invite people, bring people into the house of God, that they would be saved and sent out from the house of God. God bless you guys.